Good morning. Our Old Testament this morning is from 1 Kings, the 19th chapter, beginning with the first verse. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life like the life of the one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. He got up and he fled for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Get up and eat. He looked up, and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him, and said, Get up and eat, for the journey will be too much for you. He got up and ate and drank. And then he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. At that place he came to a cave, and he spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. He said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting the mountains and breaking rocks into pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Will you pray with me? From cowardice that dares not face new truth, from laziness content with half-truth, from arrogance that thinks it knows all truth, good Lord, deliver us. Amen. Elijah goes up the mountain of God, up Mount Horeb, where God had given Moses the Ten Commandments. 
he's uh, on the run, right? Uh, he's hiding from Queen Jezebel, who is trying to find him, to execute him. Elijah is tired. He is afraid. He's got kind of this little like self-pity thing going on. He comes all the way from Israel in the north, all the way down through Judah to the tip of the Sinai Peninsula to the mountain of God. And God says to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Literally in the Hebrew, he says, what are you up to here, Elijah? Wonder what it would be like to hear God ask you that kind of question. Or what would it be like to like let God ask you the question, like, what are you up to? Why are you here? What are you doing? It occurs to me that it's not maybe the most flattering of questions for God to ask. And yet sometimes it might be that it's the very question that will save our lives. Have you ever heard God ask that of you? Right? Like, what are you doing here? It actually happens more than you might think. I remember a few years ago, one of you asked me out to lunch and we sat down for lunch and you said, hey, I just need to talk to you because I have been trying and I cannot shake this feeling. There is something in me. It is nagging and it's been nagging. There's something in me that I know, like there's just something not right. Something's not right in my life and I can't shake it. Like, like what, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing? Without all this turmoil over the last couple of years, and one of the things that emerged is this phenomenon that, phenomenon that we've called the Great Resignation. Uh, and, and people have tried to give all kinds of answers. We all have our anecdotal evidence. But I looked this up, and they've asked people, and survey after survey, the number one thing that people answer is the reason they quit their job is because they were burned out. They were burned out. They just didn't see the point anymore. It's like we as a nation maybe were forced to stop and step back and ask the question, what are we doing with our lives? And, and maybe more than we thought, people uh, didn't like the answer that they came up with. Thomas Merton uses this analogy. He says it's like you spend your life climbing the ladder and you get to the top of the ladder only to realize that you put the ladder on the wrong wall. And you've ended up over here where you're meant to be over there. Like, what are you doing? What are we doing? This is such a moment for Elijah. It's kind of ironic because he's coming off what ought to be the greatest moment of his prophethood. Israel had been overrun by the false prophets of Baal, and Elijah had confronted them. He had exposed them for the frauds that they were, and God had sent this consuming fire, and he'd had this incredible display of power. Everybody had fallen down to worship God. Then Elijah topped it all off by slaughtering all the false prophets, and then uh, he announced an end to uh, the drought that had consumed Israel for three years, and everybody's worshiping and praising God. Like, this is a triumphant moment for Elijah. He ought to be riding high, celebrating. But Queen Jezebel has, has a, a hit out on him. He's, he's ready to be taken down, a price on his head. And so he flees in fear and terror. He runs all the way from Israel in the north, all the way down to the bottom of the Sinai Peninsula to Mount Horeb, the place, the holy place where God had come to Moses 
and given the Ten Commandments, all the law of Israel. And he gets there. He gets to Mount Horeb, and what does God say? God says, Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing? And what is he doing? Why is he there? Maybe he's hoping for some vindication. Like, look, Lord, I did all this, and now she's trying to kill me. My life is in danger. I need you to vindicate me. Maybe he's hoping for a grand, great encounter with God to see the glory of God, to experience God's presence so that he will be boosted and empowered and filled up with confidence. It is a long journey from Israel to Mount Horeb, and what a, what a disappointment it had to be. Elijah turns up and God says, Elijah, why are you here? The Old Testament scholar and theologian Ellen Davis suggests that if God asks you that, it's a strong indication that you stopped listening for God a long time ago. It's a sign maybe that you're in a place that God didn't call you to be, that God didn't tell you to go. What are you doing here? What would it look like to let God ask you that question? To let God ask us that question, like, is this what God wanted for you? Is this what God wanted for your life? Are you doing what God made you to do? Are you living as God created you to be? What about our church? Are we fulfilling God's call and claim on us? Are we living into the mission God has for First United Methodist Church of Belmont? What about our nation? Look around at what's happening in our nation. Is this what God intended for us? What are we doing here? What would it look like, like just in this very moment, for God to be here and for us to hear God saying, hey, why are you here? Why are you sitting here today? I don't know, I thought about it. Some of you maybe came this morning and you're just exhausted. I don't think we give ourselves enough grace. Like it's a, it's a lot right now. It's been a lot. And we're exhausted. And maybe you came and you were hoping that God would, would give you some breath of peace, some word of hope, some moment of rest. Some of us maybe came a little selfishly like Elijah, hoping for vindication, hoping to hear something that would prop us up, or at least prop up the ideas that we hold dear. Uh, my friend James Howell, in a sermon a few weeks ago, was uh, reflecting on the fact that there's one thing that typically gets preachers of all kinds into trouble, and that's when we talk about politics. And uh, you know this because I've done it before, and uh, it gets me into trouble. People will come up to me and say, uh, preacher, you really should not talk politics in church. Well, my friend James Howell, what he finally realized, he said, that's not what you mean when you tell us that. He said, don't talk politics in church is code for, I don't like the politics you were talking in church. 
And he said, and it's really true, y'all, like that puts us in a pretty bad spot because Jesus is an equal opportunity offender. He's after everybody. There's no group, no party, no politician, no person. We're all in for it when Jesus gets a hold of us. He is critical. He is sharp. He's got words for us. We're all in trouble. Poor preachers. We're, we're in for it. Uh, it does remind me of this cartoon. I know I've shared it with you before. This guy's sitting there with his Bible, and he's looking through the Bible furiously, and his girlfriend comes over and says, what are you doing? And he says, well, I'm looking for a verse of Scripture to back up my preconceived notions. And I thought about it, maybe, actually, and I've seen this happening a lot lately, what we may be doing is like, actually, I'm looking for a church that will back up all my preconceived notions. I'm looking for a pastor who will back up all the things I believe before I even came in the door. I think maybe that's Elijah. Like, Lord, just give me what I need. I got it all figured out. Bless me. Fill me with your power. Maybe we're looking for a vindication. Maybe we're here and maybe, maybe we really are looking for something. Something holy, something good, something beautiful. Looking for God. Elijah shows up and he's looking for God. I don't doubt that. It's interesting the way he expects to meet God. He comes to the mountain of God, to Mount Horeb, where, where I suspect what he's hoping for is like this grand display of strength and power and glory and like he's come to the place that Moses had encountered God. Elijah turns up hoping for his own Moses mountaintop moment. Right? Smoke and wind and fire and clouds and a voice that powers over everything. And what does God do? God kind of shows him up. He says, you came down here to meet me? God sends a massive earthquake that shakes and rattles and rolls. A windstorm, fire. And then comes, the scripture says, the sound of sheer silence. God makes a big racket. And then God comes in the sound of silence. Silence so deafening. You can feel it. You can sense it. You can hear it. And God asks Elijah again, What are you doing here, Elijah? And I don't know if you noticed this, but Elijah gives God the exact same answer he gave the first time. Nothing seems to have changed for him. Except maybe that now he's listening for the first time. The root, interestingly, of the word obedience is to listen toward. I like that. The notion that obedience is a kind of listening toward. And Elijah is listening. And God says, okay, Elijah, I've heard you. I've heard your same answer twice. Now, go back to where you were. Go back to what I told you to do. Go. And Elijah goes. This is just such good news to me. Right? Even when we miss the point altogether, God still speaks. God still calls. 
God asks Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah gives the same old yammering answer twice. And yet, God still calls. Elijah, I got work for you. Go. Go. God is still speaking even when we miss it. God is still speaking. Friends, this may be the hardest thing for any of us to believe. That God in the midst of the craziness of this world is still speaking. And if we believe it, it might be the hardest thing for us to really accept. Because when you do, everything about your life ends up on the table. I liken this scene on Mount Horeb to, like, did you see this video? It's gone viral this week of this four-year-old boy, and he's playing the drums. And he's actually really good. He is an incredible drum player. And he's just, I mean, he's going for it, the cymbals and everything, and it's loud. And, and he just goes on and on and on and on and on, and he's playing and playing. And, and then so all of a sudden, he just stops, folds his arms and smiles. Silence. Kathleen Norris speaks of this moment after the wind, after the fire, after the earthquake of silence and says silence as a presence. Silence becomes a presence. God is still speaking. Maybe God speaks especially in the silence. The soft, the simple, the still, the silence. Ah, we're so busy. Who has time for it? God still speaks. God still speaks. God speaks in the voices of those who have been silenced. God speaks in the voices of the poor and the outcast and the marginalized. Maybe the question we ought to be asking is like, who are the voices we don't hear? Who aren't you hearing from in your life? That might be where God is speaking most. Our racial healing and reconciliation team is working to build a, a relationship, a partnership with Hood Memorial AME Zion Church. And in our first meeting, one of the questions that we tried to talk about with was like, why are we doing this? Why are we reaching out, trying to build relationship? And the answer I gave was this. I said, like, I really believe that there are things God needs to say to us as a church and Hood Memorial we probably need you in order to hear all that God wants to say to us we probably need each other in order to hear all that God wants to say to us God still speaks even when we miss it why are you here what are you doing? Go. The most hopeful thing to me, and it's hopeful because it's realistic. Like so much of the time, I think we, we build these biblical characters up and, and like they're unapproachable, unattainable. Here's Elijah, and he gives the same answer. On the surface, he does not seem to have figured anything out. He doesn't seem changed. He doesn't seem different. The only thing is that he's listening. He's listening to God. And that's so hopeful. He's expectant. 
He's listening. And really when I think about it, I, I really believe that you are too. You're expecting God to speak. You're hoping God will speak. That's why we're here. That's why we come every single Sunday. We are expecting God to speak. We're waiting for God to speak. Maybe our prayer is like this, like, Lord, we don't really have a clue. We've met you and we've encountered you and still half the time we're confused. But we're here. And when we're not here, we're out there looking and we're waiting and we're listening. We're listening. We're leaning in. We're leaning in to you. Even when we miss it, God is still speaking. God still speaks. Why are you here? What are you doing? Go.